Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a Q&A. Hell, yeah. We got um, some oh, fucking ketchup to do. the door. I oh, know. I'm playing um, the drums. It's funny. I was, uh, <laughs> I don't know where Blakely was like, she wanted to go on a uh, truck ride yesterday, so I'll put her like in my lap and drive around. Which is funny because somebody did that, dropping their kid off to school, and apparently, like, they somebody else, another parent saw that parent do it. Which, mind you, our school is in our do neighborhood. what? Uh, basically, like, drive with the kid on their lap. Oh, so they can like, oh, I'm driving the car with you. You know what I mean? But the school's in our neighborhood, mm-hmm. and so like, it takes me two minutes mm-hmm. tops, and I like literally drive out of a cul-de-sac, one block down, and I'm in a school parking lot. You know, I wasn't this person who did this, but somebody reported another parent for doing it in the school and like now they sent out bulletins and they're like you can't do this and I was like god come on like just crazy but uh so I was doing it last night because Blakely wanted to drive around and uh it was like probably like seven ish and like the sunset was going down so we went to the one side and the sun was going down and Chris Stapleton was playing and so like I was just like kind of patting the steering wheel with like my fingers you know like drumming yeah and so she like was like curled up on my shoulder and she was drumming on the the windowsill and it was like this sounds so weird, but it was like the coolest fucking dad moment I've had in a really long time. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like the that sunset, Chris yeah. Stapleton, she's like patting with me and like looking up, like kind of trying to copy me with the drumming. Yeah. It was just so dope. Like, but. Would you say dumb? No, I said just weird. It's oh, just, it yeah, just yeah, sounds yeah. funny to say. Yeah. It's such a like mushy moment, yeah. you know, yeah. but I, I got home and I was like smiling and she was like, what? And I was like, cause we were originally just going to go. She had a toy in the mailbox. We were just gonna drive the mailbox. I was like, let's go on a drive. Yeah. And I just started cruising around. Um, but I was like, just cheese. And she's like, what? I was like, that was a dope dad moment <laughs> driving in my truck. Yeah. Because if we're at home, she don't cuddle with me. She calls mom. Yeah. And then she jumps she on me. She wants to go dad's truck. Yeah. Exactly. So I remember that doing that, though, when I was a kid. Like, wanted to sit in the front seat. I definitely or, didn't do it in the car. I did in the boat. But I. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, my parents didn't have a boat. But that, yeah, that would be super cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we got a lot of good questions today. So let's get to it. We got the first one coming from Thane Goats. It says, are you... Vain uh, goats, like greatest of all times. G-O-E-T-Z, goats. Uh, are some creatine products actually significantly more beneficial than others? Some claim to achieve better results. Others claim that they won't have any additional water weight. No, 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 and no. <laughs> so creatine monohydrate is like literally the most cut and dry supplement there is. Um, the cool thing about creatine monohydrate too is, uh, and, and you know, this is a perfect time to obviously plug our sponsor as well. First form, uh, you can head to firstform.com slash tailored coaching method. They sell creatine monohydrate in pure form. Um, and the, one of the coolest things about creatine monohydrate and one of the reasons why I love the way first form does it as well is because there is all these different types of creatine. There's creatine, uh, creacolin, there's creatine, uh, ester or something like that there's all kinds of shit because you know people saw creatine come out and they're like oh let's make the next best creatine none of the next best creatines have been better whatsoever and most of them aren't even studied it's just purely marketing propaganda um and they just do it as a way to try to sell supplements the supplement industry can be a shady industry pretty much like and there's not as much regulations as you would expect like, dude, if we wanted to, we could go create supplements literally in our bathtub at home and come out with a supplement brand, and we'd be fine. Like, we could literally sell it. 
online, GNC, like whatever. If GNC would accept, they, you know what I mean? Like it's, so when you see things like, you know, good companies, which first form has a lot of these third party tested, I believe they're getting, I think it's called NSF, I think is like a certification, which, um, the main reason to get one of those is because uh, professional sports teams will not endorse or allow their athletes to take anything that isn't NSF approved. So it's like a really high quality standard. But um, as we know, when they were talking to us in Arizona, they're going to be working with some pro teams. They already work with pro players individually. Yeah. But to work with full teams, you have to have those things. But the point of that is, is finding labels of certifications and credentials on a supplement bottle is a really, really important thing because they don't have to do that but it's very expensive and time consuming for people to come out and actually test their products in a lab to determine that their quality assurance is that, is that high. You know what I mean? So if you see it, it's a pretty fucking good standard of quality. Um, so number one, when you're looking for creatine, look out for those things. Um, when you're looking for creatine as well, look for something that is just pure creatine monohydrate and the ingredients list should literally just say creatine monohydrate. You shouldn't see anything else put into the ingredient list. You shouldn't see any proprietary blends, nothing. Just It's literally white powder, creatine monohydrate, that's it. And the cool thing about it is it's cheap as fuck. Like, I don't know how much First Forms is at the top of my head. It's, it's not one of their more expensive supplements and first one's not the cheapest brand. It's one of the higher qualities. So it just, you know, it's higher priced than a lot of the random companies you see out there. But I want to say the bottle is like a hundred servings. So yeah. it lasts you over three months and you, you pay for like what you would pay a normal supplement for like one month. Yeah. So it's like three times the value in there. And again, the ingredient label just says creatine monohydrate. But if you look at, uh, you know, we should put the links for these in the show notes, but we have done a podcast and a blog on creatine. I want to say it was called, uh, it's gotta be like the, I mean, typical blog title, all inclusive creatine guide or the definitive guide to creatine monohydrate or something like that, that I titled, I can't remember, but those are really good. Um, if you listen to iron culture, which is a podcast ran by Eric Helms and Omar Esoff, I think is how you pronounce his name. Um, they just had a researcher on for the second time, but it was a really good episode. And it's like the, one of the leading researchers who all of his research that he conducts, all of his studies are all done on creatine monohydrate. And they kind of just bust all the myths. Like one of the big myths is uh, balding. Like people, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the myths of like, you take creatine monohydrate, you go bald. Um, not proven in research whatsoever. I've been taking creatine every day for fuck a decade now, basically. There's like been a couple periods of time where I ran out of the bottle and I forgot to get it. And, I'm not balding yeah. for, for, for lack of better terms. But the, uh, the thing that they thought is because it increases DHT, which is a testosterone androgen receptor. And that can lead to, um, it's not even baldness necessarily. It's, it's almost like reversal of hair follicles. So if, if, if you have too much DHT, one of two things happens. You either go bald and get a really thick fucking beard, or it's very hard to grow a thick beard and you have luscious hair. Mm. <laughs> like, so like it's, it's very like polar opposite. Um, but you have to have, I would assume that the people that this would actually happen to are people on steroids. Cause one of the things that happens on certain steroids and performance enhancement drugs is DHT goes through the roof, but creatine does, isn't going to elevate DHT enough for that to happen. Um, especially cause if you think about it, creatine's in steak, it's in fish, it's, it, we already consume it. And creatine phosphate is, is already created in our bloodstream. Like we created in our body to generate ATP, which is a fuel source. So adding creatine through supplement is really just, basically bring that that reserve of creatine in your body up higher uh, but in the podcast they talk a little bit about this they debunk that myth um and uh 
another thing too is I think this the one study that they saw some correlation of baldness was done on Australian rugby players. And the thing I think about is one, I don't know the drug testing situation for rugby. But have you, have you ever seen a rugby player from somewhere like Australia, like a, a country where rugby is like a big sport? Mm-hmm. They're monsters. Like New Zealand. Yeah, exactly. I, it might have actually been in New Zealand. Yeah. It was in one of those two, but I know it's super popular over there. Um, but point being is I don't know if they were drug tests or not, so we, I can't say for sure that it was that. But I do know that people who play rugby, probably it's safe to say they have a high level of testosterone as well. Because mm-hmm. they're, I mean, <laughs> they're huge burly men yeah. who are jacked. Yeah. I'm going to assume they have high testosterone. Good, they high, good guess. Yeah, and if they have high testosterone, they probably have high DHT. If they have high DHT, they're they're more likely to go bald. So if they test creatine with a bunch of people who are already in a situation that are more likely to go bald, and then they correlate the two, it's like, I've said this before, but that's like, uh, technically there's a correlation between um, ice cream and drowning, eating ice cream and drowning. But it's because the, the cases of drowning ha- that happens near water on a beach is very high and the cases of eating ice cream is very high on the beach too because that's where ice cream stands and ice cream men are right so there's literally a correlation between eating a lot of ice cream like from ice cream cone stuff and death by drowning and there's been people that have used that analogy and show the research to prove that um lane norton was one of the people that i heard it from as a way to disprove correlation versus causation okay right? like ice cream doesn't cause drowning just like creatine doesn't cause uh baldness but they're correlated because the people that were studied for baldness also happen to be taking creatine, yeah. if that makes sense. So um, long-winded random answers for uh, the best creatine is creatine monohydrate. You don't need to fuck around with all the other types. There's, they're really just – they're understudied and they're just not as high quality. A lot of times they're, they're overpriced too because they're marketed so much that people charge more for them when there's no really justification to do so. Yeah. Um, Hundred percent. Just get creatine monohydrate. You don't have to cycle it. You don't have to load it. Take it every damn day. Three to five grams per day. Most things are like five grams a day is like the typical serving. Totally. And you're good. Totally. All right. Cool. We got uh, next question comes from Ashley. Um, it says new to oh new to your podcast. So you've been probably asked this before, but what are your recommendations for fasting while working out? Mm. Uh, example, I wake up at 2.45 a.m. for work, Fuck. get done at 9, so, and I'm not hungry, so I usually don't eat until I get home after my workout around 11. If I'm absolutely starving, I will eat like a ch- chicken thigh or meat bar before my workout. I'm strictly carnivore and been at maintenance for about five months looking to lose a few more pounds, but can't seem to get there. Okay. Um the one thing she didn't tell me is the first question I would ask, and that's what time is your last meal of the day before bed? And the reason I would ask that is because fasted cardio will also depend on that a lot too, right? So if you're waking up at 2.45, first of all, I'm sorry, that sucks. Second of all, if you're working out at 9 a.m., let's say, but your last meal is, I mean, God, I hope you're not going to bed at 9 p.m. So let's say like 7 p.m. or whatever it may be. If your last meal is within eight to 10 hours of your workout. And this is where if people eat, like, for example, my last meal is at like 9 PM. I usually have like some kind of casein soda, just some protein before bed. Um, if I, and I wake up at five 30, if I trained at six, I would be totally fine to train fasted because I ate a, a good sized dinner at six and I ate a snack with slow digestion protein at nine. 
I still have enough nutrients in my system to train fasted at 6 a.m. and not really worry about it. It's just going to be important to, to eat right after that. But if my last meal was at 9 and I didn't train until 12 and I was fasting that whole time at noon, by then – I probably would recommend having some kind of food. So it really depends on how long that fasting window is throughout your sleep um, for a few different reasons. Number one, protein synthesis. Uh, it's recommended to eat protein every three to five hours for a reason. During This is why they see an increase in muscle growth when, and it's like the most bro thing to do. It's been around forever, but they've finally done research and it shows it's proven to have casein before bed. So if you have Greek yogurt, cottage cheese, or casein, protein powder, which is a slow digesting protein before bed, you are going to, uh, have a slow release of protein throughout your sleep, which is going to keep muscle protein synthesis elevated throughout your sleep, muscle protein breakdown minimized. That's going to help because you have a long window, but your normal feeding window should be three to five hours per day. This is why they say three to five meals per day is ideal and you have protein spaced out evenly. But if you're not eating before you work out, you're most likely not doing that right? If you're strictly carnivore, you're definitely not doing that because you don't have any slow digestive protein because you're only eating meat. Now you could have a really, really fatty meat source before bed and it would act similar because the amount of fat in let's say ribeye is going to slow the digestion down of the protein in that steak, mm. just like casein would. Um, but certain people, uh, you know, like this kind of comes down to very like individual variabilities of like, for example, your gallbladder tends to digest and absorb a lot of the fat. So certain people's gallbladder functions better than others. So if yours is functioning really well if and you, you digest you have one. Yeah. And if you're digesting fat quickly, then you're going to get through that ribeye and get the protein out of it quicker than somebody else, regardless of your gallbladder situation, the casein is going to be slow. Yeah. So that's why it's recommended over that. But point being most of the time I don't recommend it because you just want to kind of have your bases covered. Like research has shown recovery is going to be better and training is going to be better if you have amino acids present in your bloodstream. Muscle growth and muscle recovery from muscle damage is going to be better as well if you have enough protein in your bloodstream, amino acids. So if you're training fasted, it's probably not going to happen. I believe that if you're doing low-intensity cardio fasted, totally fine. I did that this morning. I literally after our talk yesterday about like the Taylor trainer videos and stuff, I was like, all right, let's ramp it up. So I created another 15% deficit and I I'm like, all right, I got to be on top of cardio again. But for me, it's just easier to do it on an empty stomach. I, I always get hungry after cardio and there's research to show that cardio will increase hunger. Mm -hmm. So if I eat breakfast and then I do cardio, I'm hungry afterwards. If I don't eat breakfast and do cardio, I'm still hungry afterwards. Yeah. So for an, from an adherence perspective, because whether I eat first or not, I'm going to burn the same amount of total calories. So fat loss will be the same. There's no like real benefit to fasted cardio. Some people will argue that because you're predominantly using fat, you can train your body to be more metabolically flexible. The research is really iffy there. It's a really cool concept and interesting theory. And I think it can maybe apply to some scenarios, but for the most part, 90% of people, it's not going to be relevant. Um, but because of this, I'm like, oh, well, I'll just come in fasted, do my 30 minute walk, and then I'm going to have something to eat afterwards because I'm going to be hungry anyway. And now I feel like I just had breakfast. It just makes more sense from an adherence perspective. That's the only time I recommend faster cardio. Um, and if you're doing high intensity cardio, I typically don't recommend it fasted because, and this is why I don't really like strength training fasted because it's an anaerobic system, which means it's primarily using carbohydrates and it's, it's going to be more sympathetic dominant. It's going to be very intense in 
it, it, they call it excitement of your nervous system. So it's very stimulating of your nervous system, which is more fatiguing and more stress inducing for cortisol, things like that. So typically if you do it fasted, you're just exaggerating that, right? There is some research to show like if you're doing, if you take caffeine and yohimbine, which is a fat loss supplement and then do fasted high intensity cardio or just fast cardio in general, there's an enhancement of fat loss, very marginal. But like, if you're like trying to lose the last five pounds, I think it's worth it. Um, like extreme bodybuilders and stuff do it like that. And I think it, there's, there's, you know, there's reason to do it. Um, but strength training, you're going into strength training, not for the purpose to burn fat. You're going in there to build muscle or strength or preserve muscle. So you want carbohydrates to blunt that cortisol response and fuel performance. And then you want, uh, protein in order to recover from that. So a lot going on here, obviously. Um, this specific person is carnivore, therefore they're not having carbs. So I would first, I don't recommend the carnivore diet to anybody typically because I think the only time it makes sense for anybody is if they're going through, and she very well could be, so if this is you, then you're doing the right thing. But if you have some like very, very rare and extreme gut issues to where you have a lot of different food intolerances and a lot of things irritate your gut and cause more issues, or you even have some kind of disease or illness that is stemming from your gut. That's the only time a carnivore diet makes sense because it's, it's an elimination diet on steroids, Mm -hmm. you know, like an elimination diet goes, okay, let's remove like grains and dairy, um, legumes, alcohol. Like, let's see what's causing the issue. Carnivore diet says, let's remove everything except what we know isn't going to cause an issue. And meat's not going to cause an issue. I've never had a single client that had a food intolerance from meat. I've never even heard of a situation where somebody had a food intolerance from meat. I've heard people get sick from meat, like nauseous after they're pregnant or if they're vegan for a long time because they don't like meat, but that's more of a mental thing, I think. And when you start eating it, like you can't tolerate it. Even Shannon went through periods of time during pregnancy where she didn't want certain meats. Um, But we know that meat's not going to cause any intolerances to the human body. So it makes sense in that situation, but most people listening, that's not the case. It's very rare. Um, so I don't typically recommend a carnivore diet. Um, it also would remove you from the situation of needing to worry about the stress factors involved with training and the recovery from training that carbs are going to be so influential with. Um, carbs are also a fuel source that increases your BMR, which people don't think about, but your basal metabolic rate is made up of the thermic effect of food, sleep, um, uh, obviously some hormones play a role and stuff, but mainly like your neat step count, stuff like that. Well, carbs are going to feel that more because carbs have a higher thermic effect food than fats. Carbs are going to feel more energy, which is going to feel more steps and walking and talking, things like that throughout the day. So carbs are very metabolically stimulating, so to speak. So is protein. Um, so I think it's, it doesn't make sense to remove them. They're also the main source of fiber. So I don't think there's much point in removing them because fiber is so good for you. Um, There's also things with cholesterol, vitamins, minerals, stuff like that, um, even hydration that rely on fiber to continue working in your body. So we remove fiber and we're potentially causing some issues. Um, Vitamin or or, uh, Alan Aragon talked about this on the podcast we did too, but meat's also very, very low in vitamin C. And there's a a whole bunch of stuff that can happen uh, badly if you completely eliminate vitamin C from Mm -hmm. your diet. Um, so definitely supplement with it if you're on a carnivore diet, but that's not always going to be the the thing that fixes the issue. Um, so I don't typically recommend it for all those reasons I stated. And when you're on a carnivore diet, you can't really avoid that, that stress response from training. Like I think you should. And some people don't have that stress response as well, but I see a red flag with her. And this is why I'm kind of going so in depth on this question is because you're waking up at 2:45 to work. You can't tell me that your body's not stressed. I don't care if you're used to it or not. 
anybody who's a shift worker or works graveyard shifts, you're literally taking your body and trying to create a circadian rhythm that's polar opposite to the circadian rhythm of what the human being should have, right? When the sun comes up, melatonin release like uh, is is fading away in our body cortisol kicks in which wakes us up and then we are awake during the day that's when we should be digesting and moving because that's what our body's meant to do when the sun goes down and literally when it the horizon is basically your gauge for melatonin production so when the sun goes down uh, melatonin goes up which puts you to sleep this is why they say if you can put your lamps on the floor which is very unpractical for people but if you put your lamps on the floor instead of having overhead lights, you're going to fall asleep faster and better because makes sense. Yeah. Because if the lights overhead, it's tricking my eyes, yep. you know, um, that artificial lighting lighting will not allow my melatonin to kick up regularly. Um, so because of that, and because you're doing it on the opposite schedule and you're trying to sleep when it's light out and vice versa. And this is why shift workers have such a hard time losing weight and having good health is because it's a stress on your body. Your body clock is ran by your feeding window and your sleeping patterns, which are dictated by the way the earth spins, right? So um, the reason I'm saying that is because stress is typically higher with people in that circumstance. And the fact that we're eliminating potential nutrients that could help blunt that stress response or, or mitigate it, to me, that's just not the smartest thing. I wouldn't recommend it unless, again, unless there is a, uh, a greater risk of food intolerances causing illness, disease, or gut issues that overpower the, the worry of that body <clears throat> clock discussion I just had yeah. tremendously. Um, but yeah, so long story short, I think the, the whether you should train faster or not is, is actually like less of a worry than the other stuff I talked about. But um, in this situation, I definitely wouldn't train faster. I think you, you would get more out of your workouts. I think you would recover better and you'd get better results if you were having some kind of protein source before you worked out. And that could literally be just, I mean, in your case, it couldn't be a protein shake because you're carnivore, but something as simple as that, just like a literally a simple, I think she said like a meat stick. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Throw down a meat stick. In fact, First Form has fucking fantastic meat sticks. Touche. Um, I got some, I uh, ordered some bars, a hat, and a shirt for you to try. Yep. Uh, I mean, you're not going to try the hat and the shirt, but, <laughs> wear. Yeah. but the, the pumpkin spice bars are fucking fire. Oh, but they good. got these like barbecue meat sticks that are like just, you know, when you get, have you ever had an Ostrom stick? Yeah. From like Emerald City. Yep. They're really good. Yep. But they're pretty small. Yep. These beef sticks are fat, dude. They're like probably like two or three of those in one. Wow. They're solid. Um, Sounds delicious. Yeah. So throwing down one of those before workout, perfect example. Totally. So. Yep. All right. Cool. Uh, we got one more here. We got one. It's coming from Bree Booze. Uh, it says, client of mine wants to put lean mass on. Over the last four months, I've moved his ca his calories up, and he is eating more food than ever. However, there is a zero-sized difference in his body, and he is getting strong as as hell. It says, getting strong as hell. I know it takes a while to put on muscle, but I feel like I, I, I might be missing something. I know that sleep is a huge opportunity. We are working on that. He's averaging four to five hours a night. He trains five days a week in a power building style workout. Could it, it be time to switch up a hypertrophy physique focus split? Um, you want biofeedback. Sleep is in the green via whoop at four to five hours a night. I feel like this is the biggest opportunity. His weight has stayed around... 191 to 195 body fat percentage per fit 3D fluxes between 16 and 19. Water intake is one gallon. Macros are spot on every day and eating 430 carbs a day. Wow. He uses first form supplements to reach carb goals. He definitely isn't is not hungry. 
He has in, intracarbs during his workout. He has a protein shake with creatine after his workout and then eats a meal within 90 minutes. What are your thoughts? He's doing everything he can. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> um, first of all, I think his whoop strap is bullshit. Ooh. There's no way you're in the green if you have four to five hours of sleep. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like that's like my gauge on my car being on E, but my light's not going off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's just – something's wrong here. Um, sometimes I've heard – I've never used Whoop, so I don't know for sure, but I, I've heard of um, different trackers, like, uh, mistaking the time laying down versus time asleep, and they actually are just in, inaccurate, where it's like, I might lay down from – like, last night, I – Man, I did good last night. I laid down. I attempted to lay down at 8.30 p.m. Daughter went to bed, and I was like, all right, let's hit the sack now. And then I found a leak under one of the sinks in the laundry room, and I went to put Bubba in his bed in the laundry room, and there was just fucking water everywhere. And I'm like, oh, okay, so we're doing this tonight. Um, fixed a sink, bro. And by fixed a sink, I mean I just went, and yeah. I just tightened the knob. <laughs> Didn't actually do anything cool. I would love to see what plumbing work you did. But. Yeah, you're looking at me like, yeah, right, motherfucker. I mean, at least you did uh, that. Yeah. I mean, I found. Water? I, no water. Yeah. I discovered the water. That yeah. was a good thing. Um, but the uh, but I, I think I got into bed at like 9 9.15, but I didn't fall asleep until midnight because I started watching Sons of Anarchy, and I was like all fucking ramped up because they were just doing gangster shit, and it got me, like, heart rate up. And then I turned it off, and I just couldn't fall asleep. And if I looked at my thing, and it said I slept 12 hours because I laid down at 9, and I woke up at 9, let's say, but I went to bed at fucking 12, that's inaccurate. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, so, number one, I would check check that. Uh, but I also will say there's not enough research on hypertrophy and sleep in order for us to actually say that sleep is the determining factor of whether you get gains or not. I've seen way too many people who are jacked as fuck who get four to five hours of sleep. Mm. I've I, like, I built a ton of muscle and I didn't sleep that much. You know, I mean, I slept four to five hours, but I didn't sleep seven to eight, nine hours like yeah. they say you should. And even if you look at high performance athletes who are in the NFL, the NBA, the CrossFit games, all those kind of things, CrossFit games is probably the only one I would say those people do typically take care of their sleep pretty well. But like athletes in, in actual sports, not that CrossFit's not an actual sport, but you know what I mean? Like yep. the classic American sports. Team sports. Team sports. They're traveling. They're on buses. They're in hotel. Like you can't tell me they get great sleep. Yep. They don't. And there's plenty of jacked motherfuckers on there. Yep. College athletes who are partying and studying and then playing, like, and they're jacked. They don't get enough sleep. Totally. So, um, and there's just no research to show that it really does anything, right? If anything, the only thing that helps uh, with hypertrophy would be if you get more sleep, you're probably going to be able to train a little bit harder, which if you can train a little bit harder, maybe you can do more volume if you actually know to program that volume in the first place. And then maybe you'll build more muscle. Um, but there's plenty of research to show like the difference between five to six and six to seven and seven to eight isn't that crazy. Um, so it's kind of like if you're in the window of five to seven, you're probably going to get similar results. And I hate saying that because I don't want people to be like, Oh, I don't got to sleep anymore. Um, but if you got eight, it would actually make a big difference. The problem is eight to nine hours of sleep is like damn near impossible for the normal person. That's a lot of sleep. Yep. So I think listen to your body, obviously, because everybody responds differently. Uh, but case in point, um, it's probably just a matter of time, honestly. Like uh, I don't think you – I mean I think it's patience. Like you're doing a lot of the right stuff. Now, 
the only thing I would say, like, he, he, it sounds like he's eating enough carbs. He's got nutrient timing unlocked. Maybe he can improve his sleep. He's getting enough water. He's taking first form supplements, which is probably the biggest key here of, of getting jacked. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, and uh, he's doing a power building style program, which I think is great. The, the last thing to do is probably increase volume. Most likely, if you're doing a power building style program, I would assume you're doing like four days a week, maybe five. Maybe you bump it up to six days a week and you do strictly bodybuilding. Like, pull back on power building because power building is still somewhat concurrent because you're still doing power lifts in low rep ranges to build strength. Maybe you just focus on building muscle. I prefer a power building approach for most people who haven't done great programming and need to work on strength and hypertrophy. And I think it'll work just as well as purely hypertrophy training or bodybuilding training. However, there's certain people who get to a certain point where you can't dabble in multiple things if you want to get the best results possible. If you want to get as strong as possible and you're more of an advanced athlete or you're at a plateau, you need to do a program that is specifically 100% geared towards strength. If you want to get better at um, conditioning, you have to put most of your eggs in that basket. If you want to get bigger, you have to put all your eggs in the bodybuilding basket. Like that's just how it is. So I would probably shift programming a little bit. And the best way to do that is, uh, and I actually, I don't know when this is going to come out. So, um, uh, it's a teaser that could be a really, really early delay teaser. And I'm not gonna say any names, but somebody is, uh, there's going to be a new player in the game for research reviews. And I'm really excited for him to come out with his. And, uh, I was asked to be a uh, guest author in it. So basically, can I say, no, oh, okay. uh, we're not allowed to say it. Oh. Um, Actually, I don't know if we're allowed to say it or not. <laughs> uh, he'll be on the podcast when he decides to launch because he, he, he asked me to do that. And I was like, absolutely. Um, but one of the research studies that I got to contribute to was volume. So with volume, it was basically like, how do we, you know, after looking at all the research, it's like, as a coach, how do we, how do we go about increasing somebody's volume to build more muscle? And that's exactly what the situation is right here, which is why it's a perfect kind of segue to that. But in this situation, most likely you need to sit down and you need to calculate how many sets per muscle group per week are they doing? Because that's going to be the, the biggest indicator for muscle growth. And then you have to really consider, and this is more experience-based, it's going to be anecdotal. You can't really rely on research to give you like a formula for this, but you have to look at that and go, okay, how well is he recovering from that amount of volume? And then you have to say, how well do I think he is recovering from the intensity of it, or how much do I think the intensity-based training being the low rep stuff, so the heavy load, um, not the high rep bodybuilding stuff, so bench squat deadlift for sets of one to five reps, let's say, maybe you're doing some accessory work for six or less reps, that's strength work. How fatiguing is that compared to how fatiguing the sets are? Because normally, if somebody's doing 10 sets per muscle group per week, I might say, hey, let's make a small jump to like 12 sets per muscle group per week, and then just 15 sets per muscle group per week for one to two muscles that you want to specialize in. So maybe for me, I do, I, I do biceps and lats because those are the two I want to uh, specialize in this, this block. Um, however, if, if I'm doing that and I remove those low reps, I would feel comfortable going, hey, go from 10 to 15 sets per muscle group per week for every muscle on your body because we're eliminating the low rep strength-based sets that are extremely fatiguing to your nervous system compared to the volume. Um, if you're keeping those, maybe you make a smaller bump. But the point is, is you're going to calculate everything and then you're going to increase. Now, that might mean if you're not doing that many sets per muscle group per week, you might be able to stick with an upper lower split and just do four days a week and just increase slightly. You make everything that's three sets, four sets, boom, you're done, right? But if you're if you need to go from 10 to 15 or even 15 to 20 on some, you're probably going to have to do like a push-pull leg split. And this is where we're doing six days a week and we can do 
just chest, triceps, and shoulders one day, just back and biceps one day, and then just legs one day because you have more time to just focus on a couple muscle groups and do more volume per session. Yeah. Um, and you're aiming for, let's say, 10 sets per muscle group per session, and you're doing two sessions a week. That's maximizing hypertrophy to the fullest. That's 20 sets per muscle group per week. And that's a lot, right? Um, but usually in these situations, somebody's eating a ton of carbs, good amount of protein, so their calories are set, they're getting water, they're, they're decent on sleep, they got their supplements, their nutrient timing, everything is locked in. It's just training. Training is the last factor. A lot of people want nutrition to be the thing, but I don't care how many more cups of rice or chicken breast you eat, it's not going to build muscle at all. It, that's just what you're using to perform in the gym or recover from the gym, which means you need to do more in the gym. And then if, if you do more in the gym and you notice your recovery is starting to take a hit, then increase your calories again. Yeah. Um, and I would probably increase volume slowly and probably shift to like a six-day split. I think if you do that, you'd be probably pretty good. Totally. So, all right, guys, that is a wrap for today. Um, as always, leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes and Spotify. We appreciate you listening to the podcast, and uh, we will catch you guys next time. <laughs>